Lord, our prayer today is not another sermon. Our goal is not just to sit through another service. We really want your transforming power to speak into our heart. I pray that for myself. I pray that for everybody in the room. And I pray, Father, that you'd help me to get out of the way. And that you would just use me as a mouthpiece to speak your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are uh, in a series called Messy Church, and we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in fact, let me just say this on record. Uh, Man, I love our pastor. Uh, I love Pastor Corey. I love, he has done a phenomenal job taking some very hard passages and and just doing a great work. I also want to say, if you're listening, Pastor, thank you for an easy one. Thank you for not giving me one of those other ones. Uh, and, and thanks for 1 Corinthians 13. You're, you're the greatest. But uh, last week we launched into a discussion talking about spiritual gifts. And, and if you weren't here, let me just define it because Pastor Corey did it very well. A spiritual gift is just that. It's a spirit gift. It's a grace gift that is given to us by God for the purpose of edifying the church. So to build the church up and to glorify God. All right. So it's very important for us to understand two things. Number one, the gift is for us to use for him, not for ourselves. So it's not pointing to us. It's pointing to Christ. And the second thing is this, because this is what I've seen. I've been in ministry now over 25 years, and here's what happens a lot in churches. People will jump from church to church to church to church because they feel like the church is going to give them the gift they want. All right? So, for example, you're like, I just want to be a teacher. But if you don't have the gift of teaching, you can keep jumping from church to church. But the church, here's the role of the church. The church is to identify in you the gift that God gives. So you can, you can say, well, you know, North Star, they don't get it. And you can go to another church, and they're not going to get it, and they're not going to get it. So can I just say something to you in love, and you're going to get this a lot this morning from me, is I want to love you enough to say, stop running. The gift you have is the gift God gave. So embrace that gift and use it for the glory of God. Pastor Corey mentioned this last week, but a gift can't be earned, learned, or taught. So with that, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And in fact, let's look at the last verse of chapter 12 first. And, and, and here's the thing, too, that, that I think we need to understand. The goal is not the gift. The goal is love. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, notice what he says here in, in verse 31 of chapter 12. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. They're like, what are those? I'll let Pastor Corey answer that next week. All right, here's the last line. And I will show you a still more excellent way. What is the more excellent way? It's chapter 13. It's love. The more excellent way is love. And so we go to 1 Corinthians 13, and a lot of times we call this the love chapter, and it is the love chapter. But I think we need to understand it's in the context of Paul writing about spiritual gifts, and we need to see that the gift, right, is the instrument by which we are going to use in love to build up the church. All right? Are we together? Yeah, awesome. Three of us are together. Okay, that's okay. Okay, here's here's the takeaway. I'm going to put it on the screen. You ready? Spiritual gifts, no matter how exciting and wonderful, are useless, even destructive, if they're not used in love. Let let me say it one more time. Spiritual gifts, no matter how exciting and wonderful, are useless, even destructive, if they're not used in love. Because what is the purpose of the gift? To edify the church, to build up the church, to glorify Christ. And so Paul is going to write this and he's going to say we need to use these gifts in and through love. 
So we're not striving for gifts. We're striving for love. All right? Love is not the end. Right? Or love is the end. It's not the instrument. And that's why he says here. So to desire a spiritual gift is a good thing. But you need to understand that it's to be used as an instrument through which we are to love other people. Now, let's define love very quickly. Because there's three Greek words that talk about love. First is eros, that is romantic love. All right, it's sexual love. It is, uh, you know, a romantic kind of love. And then there's the Greek word phileo. It's a brotherly love. It's affection. In fact, it is the highest love that we can have amongst each other outside of God. Right. And then there is agape love. This is a God type love. This is the love that. God demonstrated to us on the cross. This is a love that is never-ending. It's never-changing. It's self-sacrificing. It is self-denial for the sake of others. But here's the truth. It has very little to do with emotion and everything to do with fact. Now, here's why I say that. As a pastor, I used to say this, and in, in our ministry now, I say this every day to somebody. As believers, we've got to learn to live fact over emotion. The fact is the Word of God. It is the truth. Now, When I say fact over emotion, I am not downplaying emotion. I'm not saying that you need to be emotionless. What I am saying is that we can't allow our emotions to drive our behaviors. And so we've got to be people that that realize here's the truth. God loves you not because of you, but because of him. So he loves you because he himself is love. Because I think sometimes we think, well, of course God loves me. Look at me. No. Or we say the opposite. God can't love me. Look at me. But see, God doesn't love you because of what you do or what you don't do. See, this, this is a roller coaster that people get on. I read my Bible and I prayed God loves me. I forgot to read my Bible and prayed God doesn't love me. Right? That's a nightmare of emotion. Or we think maybe perhaps God loves me because I have the potential for something in the future. None of that is true. God loves you because of who he is. And so with that in mind, we see here in chapter 13, there's, there's a couple of things about agape love that we're going to see in this chapter. First is this. Agape love is essential. It is essential. So notice what he says in the first three verses here of, of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, what does he say? I gain what? Nothing. I gain nothing. Now, Paul starts here with tongues because of the overemphasis that the Corinthians had placed upon this gift. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Now, Paul is speaking here with hyperbole, all right? He's not speaking literally. So when he says, if I had the tongues of men or of angels, and here's what he's saying. If I had a language that is known or I had a language that is unknown, if I could do all of that, here's what he says, but I don't do it in love, then I have nothing. So he's not saying I've done this. He's just identifying that everything that we do is supposed to be done in love. Now, if you've been following along with us in in this uh, series, you know this, but if you're not, I'll just tell you. There were 12 pagan temples all around. So here's what the Corinthians are trying to do. They're trying to figure out, how do I live my faith out in the midst of a godless society? Basically, how do you live as a Christian in a non-Christian world? Isn't that the same thing we're trying to do today? Like, how do I do this? 
And so they've been writing letters to Paul saying, hey, Paul, now that we're believers, what, what about this? What about this? What about this? And Paul is answering this because here is something that was known in the temple. If you spoke in a tongue, that was considered the idea of speaking the language of the gods. And so Paul says, this gift of tongues and languages, it profits nothing without love. So whether a gift be natural or supernatural, if it doesn't have love, it's nothing. Why? Because love is superior to all the gifts. In fact, he says, a gift without love is loud noise. Why would he call it that? Because a gift with loud noise is a gift that's all about me. It's trying to draw attention to me. Hey, everybody, look at me. Aren't I great? But that's not the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift is to draw attention to God and to glorify Him. He keeps on going in verse 2. Here's what Paul's saying. Again, it's hyperbole. And he's saying, if I had all the prophetic knowledge, meaning if I knew every divine secret, if I knew everything about everything but I didn't have love, then I know nothing. I have nothing. In fact, the phrase here when he's talking about moving mountains, he's referring, no doubt, to what Jesus taught in Matthew 17. Well, what did Jesus teach in Matthew 17? That if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, what could you do? Move mountains, right? Now, he's not really talking about excavating, right, mountains. He's talking about overcoming insurmountable odds. But you know what? I love what Paul's saying. Paul says, but if you don't have love, you know what you'd probably move that mountain to? Someone else's path. Or just drop it on them. Can we just be honest? Right? If I had the faith to move a mountain, you know, I was like, you know what, God, let's move this mountain on him. <sighs> and so Paul says, what do you have if you don't have love? Nothing. Because what does faith do? Faith leads us to love God and to love others. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, you know what's going to happen? Your emotions and your behavior is going to follow. If you'll just believe and live truth, I promise you. I know we live in a culture where every, we want everything right now, and we want to do everything based on how I feel. But if you'll just believe and live the truth, your emotions will follow. He even goes on, he says, if I give away everything I had to the poor, or even through persecution, I give my own life. But I don't do it in love, then I gain nothing. So here's the problem in our culture. We want to give so that others see. It's almost like we do this. We're like, you know, I want to give something, you know, so we're like looking around, making sure everybody's watching. We're like, hey, here you go. Do you know what you get when you do that? This. That's it. That's all you get. It's over. Like you get three claps. Woo! You maybe get a pat on the back. That a boy? So Paul says, and Jesus says the same thing. You've gained nothing because who cares that you get three applause? Who cares that you get a pat on the back? Because in eternity, you've gained nothing. So he says, without love, we got nothing. So agape love is essential. And I love this. Agape love never expects anything in return. Look at the second one. Agape love is edifying, right? It's building up, which, remember, is the purpose of the gift of which we have. So look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, now he begins to better define, this is what agape love is. And I want us to look at these. I wrote these down. He says, love is patient. It means it's not easily roused to resentment. 
it suffers long on behalf of others, which is kind of opposite of what we do, right? We kind of give everybody like just a couple of seconds, eh, I don't really like you, I'm going to move on. But love suffers long. It's kind, speaks of being useful. Love is inclined to be of good service to other people. I love this one. Love is not envious. What, what does that mean? Well, biblical envy, think about this, is jealousy over the blessings and achievements of others, especially spiritual enjoyment and the advancement in the kingdom of God. Do you know what tears down a lot of churches? Envy. Why does that person get to lead life group? Why does that person get to sing? Why does that person get to sing? And, and this is what we do. Oh, she sings because he gets to preach. Why does he get to preach? Why was his daughter singing? Do you see where I'm going? And we begin to tear down because of envy. We don't seem to take everything in its entirety or the whole picture of everything that's going on, but we become envious. And so when we're envious, we're not displaying the love of Christ. He goes on, love doesn't boast. means not exalting ourselves over others as if our accomplishments are based on us anyway. He says, love isn't proud. When you love others, you're not seeking self-importance. It's not rude. You know what Paul's talking about here when he says love isn't rude? He's, he's talking about how love, and, and this, is, this is so good, it, it's talking about accepting, or not really accepting, but speaking to the social customs of that time. So he's talking about the likes and dislikes. It's understanding the culture and the context. I think one of the things that we've not realized in the church yet is we have a generational diversity. We talk about diversity, but we don't seem to talk about a generational diversity. In, in a sense of when I say the word church, everybody in the room has a different thought, and not all of them is right and wrong. It's just different. An older generation thinks of church one way, a younger generation looks at it a different way, and yet if we don't talk about the different ways, we tend to become separated. But love isn't rude. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't insist on its own way, but it looks for opportunities to promote others. And it doesn't mean that you can't look at your own needs. The Bible says Jesus got alone to pray. But it is talking about that we're going to be considerate to the needs of others. He goes on. Love isn't irritable or resentful. The NIV translates it this way. Love is not easily angered. Now, notice it doesn't say love never gets angry. You see that? There's a big difference. Because anger is an okay emotion when it's under control, and we have control through the power of Holy Spirit in us, right? And it doesn't lead us to sin. How do you know that? Because Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and sin not. This is exactly what we see with Jesus in the temple when he runs the money changers out, right? I'll be honest, there's two things that come into my mind when I think about righteous anger. And again, not leading us to sin, but leading us to movement. There, there comes a time in life when all of us have the Popeye moment. I don't know if some of you are younger, you don't know what Popeye is, but Popeye was this, you know, big dude, sailor man, right? And, and, and he, would, he would squeeze the spinach, which is why everybody needs to eat green leafy foods. And, um, and he, would, he, would, he would squeeze it, and it would pop out, right? And he would kind of catch it in the corner of his mouth. But he would say, I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand no more, right? And I think for me, there's two things. Number one is human trafficking. Where I'm like, you know what, Lord? Nobody on this earth should be a slave. And so my family and I, we've been a part of that. We've seen the evils of it. Uh, we've been in Haiti. We've been in rescues. It's been amazing. That's a different sermon. But the other one is, with our family, is we want to be a voice to the voiceless, a father to the fatherless. When we see the orphan being taken advantage of, we're like, hey, this has got to stop. And I love the fact that God led us to adopt our youngest son, Tyson, from Ethiopia, because we wanted to be a part of that. So there's just times when you're like, hey, that's, I've, I've had it. I'm not going to do 
I have any more. But then he goes on, verse 6, love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Some of your translations say love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I don't know about you. Is there times when you read Scripture and you're like, yeah. And then there's times you read Scriptures and you're like, ugh. That was one for me. In fact, can, can we just be honest? Don't, don't lift your hand. But when, when I'm reading this list, isn't there a part of you that's saying, hey, dude, like, I can't do this. I mean, isn't there a part of you that's like, you know, because some of them you're like, oh, okay, I, don't, I think I'm that. Oh, patient, maybe a little bit. You know, but then it comes to like, love keeps no record of wrongs. And you're like, I do. I'm just being honest. Like, you do something to me, and I'm like, okay, watch your back. I mean, because here's the truth, right? I mean, you do something to me, I'm like, ah, whatever. Like, you do something to my wife, and I'm like, right? You do something to one of my kids, and I'm like, okay, now we got to go outside. Like, we call the elders, call whoever, call, you know, I mean, but that's not what agape love does. So here's the thing. If you're being honest, like me, you're like, Mark, I can't do this. You're right. You can't. Sermon over. I mean, does anybody track him? Like, (laughs) I can't. You're right. You can't. But listen. The night before Jesus is going to be crucified, he's in the upper room with the disciples. Do Do you remember what he says to them? I'm going away, and it's to your advantage that I go. Now, right there, let's stop. How can it be to my advantage that you're going to go away? It's been my advantage that you've been with me. Because here's what he says. Another comforter, another helper is coming. He won't just be with you. He's going to be in you. Now, church, listen to me. Because if your story is like mine, you grew up going to a church where no one talked about Holy Spirit. Why would he send a helper unless we needed help? Why would he send a comforter unless he knew we needed to be comforted? See, when, when Paul writes this, when because see, it's not just this, right? Jesus goes on and says, by the way, love those who do evil to you. Okay, so if you do something evil to me, now there's probably somebody in the room online, you're so spiritual, and some of some, you're like, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be Christ-like to this person who's been evil to me. That's not where my mind goes, okay? When you do evil to me, I'm like, okay, combat. Right? I mean, you get in the pose. But that's not what love does. So then, how do I go and love you if you do evil to me? Because I have the power that raised the dead in me. That's what Paul writes in Romans 8. I have the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God is in me, what is the Spirit of God? Well, He's love. He's more, but He's love. So I have the God of love in me that's going to allow me, right, to love others. It's so important that you see that. So if, you're, if this morning you're saying, I can't do this, then you're in a very good position for God to do something very mightily through you. It's not about striving to do more. It's about surrendering to Him and allowing Him to work through us. And in fact, I love, and Pastor Corey said this months ago when he talked about everybody has a past. And I think sometimes that we forget that our past is that we once were enemies to God. In fact, Romans 5.8 Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, when we were enemies to God, he still loved us. He died for us. And so you don't have the power to do this, but the power to do this is in you if you're in Christ. 
In fact, I remember hearing a story one time of a, an older lady, and she was sharing with some younger ladies that were uh, newlywed, and, and, and she had been married for 50, 60 years. And, of course, the newlywed ladies were like, oh, man, how have you been married so long? And she said, oh, it's very easy. Before we got married, I made a list of things that if he did these specific things, no questions asked, I would just forgive him. And, of course, the younger ladies were like, pins out. You know, they're like, what was that list? And she said, you know, the funny thing was is I actually never got around to making the list. So every time he did something that would make me mad, I would just say to myself, it's a good thing for him that would be on the list. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrongs. We forgive so that other people can go free. In fact, look at verse 7 again. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, he's not saying love is gullible. He's saying love believes well of others unless convinced otherwise. And he's telling us, don't be negative, don't be critical, but be positive and hopeful. Now, listen to this thing about hope. Hope is an attitude that good is going to eventually come even if the person is failing right now. Let me tell you how that's possible. Hope is not in the person failing. Hope is in Christ who's in that person. So that believer who was like, come on, man, you need to stay. We, we want to tend to put our faith in that person, and that's what lets us down. No, my hope is in Christ who never fails, who is all-powerful. And then he goes on. Notice he says, love endures all things. It's a military term, meaning that it sustains the assaults of the enemy. Let me tell you why that's important. God's doing some amazing things in our church. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I'm new, so some of you, you know, I might think you look new and you could have been here for, you know, a long, long time. But it seems like every Sunday I see somebody that I've never seen before. You know, I, I hear all these stories of people that are giving their life. You know, we, we put a pull out here. People are getting baptized. So what's going to happen, right? Well, the enemy doesn't want that to happen. The enemy is going to try to throw all of these assaults. So what we've got to be reminded is that love doesn't fail. Love is going to endure all the assaults of the enemy. And then here's the last one. It's essential. It's edifying. This last one, agape love is eternal. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Church, here's the truth. All things are going to come to an end. All things, no matter how great they are. In fact, I read this week that the average human has three, uh, what was it, three billion heartbeats. Then it's over. See, all spiritual gifts are going to come to an end. This is why Paul says, don't strive for the gift. Strive for love. That's what's going to last. The gift's going to cease. Okay, when? Right? When heaven. Notice what he says here, right? Pastor Corey mentioned this, that some people want to teach that some of the gifts have passed away, but the Greek language doesn't seem to support that. So it says that they're going to cease. When? When the perfect comes. When is that? Heaven. Think about it. Think about it. Will we need the gift of healing in heaven? No. We're going to be perfect. We won't need the gift of faith. We'll see Jesus face to face. 
But then Paul ends and he says two things. The first one is this. Grow up and act like mature adults. He says, stop, stop acting like children in the area of gifts and love. Now, let, me, let, me, let me say this. Pastor Corey didn't ask me to say it. We've got to stop getting so angry and just taking all of our stuff and going home. Like, that doesn't work. Whether that's in the issue of gifts or whatever it is. And I'll tell you why we, we don't need to do that. You and I don't see clearly the big picture. Maybe I should say it this way. We don't see the entire picture. And we're getting emotional because we see this and we don't see everything that God does. In fact, notice here when he's talking about a mirror, he's speaking of a reflection. That's what we have today. Here's what we have today. A photograph of what's to come. Don't make a decision based on a photograph because one day you're going to be in the presence of Christ face to face. And, and notice what he says here. I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Let me, let me take a break right here for a second. Have you ever considered that you're fully known by God? And listen to me. And yet you're fully chosen you're fully accepted. You're fully complete. See, I say that because here's what happens. I'm talking about love, and you say, hey, Mark, uh, you're talking about love. You're talking about the person next to me. God doesn't love me. I'm broken. No, you're not. No, I mean, that's real. Your feeling of brokenness is real. But God says, no, I love you. No, you don't understand, God. I'm dirty. And he says, I know. And I love you. In fact, you feel unlovable, but I say you're complete. And here's what we do. We're like, hey, God, get, get off me, man. You're smothering me. Like, there's no way you can love me. Look at what I've done. And he says, oh, I know what you've done. In fact, I know everything about you. You're just talking about what you've done. Let's talk about what you've thought. I know that. And here's what he wants to say to you this morning. He says, but I need you to hear me. I love you. Just, just take it for a second. He says, I, I love you. Because we want to push back on that. But here, here's, you know what Ephesians 1.6 says? You're accepted in the beloved. Now the reason I say that is because here's what people say. Well, I've accepted Christ, but I don't think he's accepted me. Based on what? Your works. Right? You think he's not accepted you because perhaps you've not read your Bible enough. Perhaps you've not prayed long enough. How much of the Bible are you supposed to read? How long are you supposed to pray? Now, don't get me wrong. You need to, you need to pray and read your Bible. But that's not what your acceptance is based on. Your acceptance is based on a Christ who accepts you based on what he's already done on the cross for you. And, and then he says, and then he says, listen to this, in Colossians 2.10, he says, you're complete in Christ. Now, already you're like, oh, mm -mm, nope, I, I thought something, I've done something, I've said something that contradicts what you've just said. Here's the answer. You ready? It's real. You really said it, you really did it, you really thought it, but it's not the truth. Because the truth is the Word of God, and he says, you are complete in Christ. 
I just need you to I just I need you to believe this. I need you to see it. You're fully known and yet you're fully loved. The second one is this. He says, Faith, hope, and love abide in us because Christ is our life. See, the, the sermon is not, all right, guys, go manufacture some hope this week. You have all the hope you need because Holy Spirit's in you. You don't need any more hope. You've got it all. I'll, I'll, I'll manage up some more love. You've got all the love you need because Christ is love and He's in you. You have it all. Ephesians 1.3, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In fact, can I just, let me share this for you. I didn't share this with 9 o'clock. You get something free. You ready for this? You have the same amount of Holy Spirit as our pastor. See, I think sometimes we think Pastor Corey's got all the Spirit, and then the elders have got just a little bit less, and then the leaders a little bit less, and then there's you and in in me in the seat, and we're like way over here. That's not biblical. All of us have the same amount of Holy Spirit. In fact, if you've been saved 50 years or 50 minutes, you have the same amount of Spirit. Now, discipleship and everything else might be different, right? But we're not striving for faith, hope, and love. We have it already in Christ. But notice he says here, what's the greatest? It's love. Why? Because it's going to outlast everything else. It's going to outlast everything else. So I'll close with two things. Here's the first one. Let's make it our desire to discover our God-given gifts. So if you don't know your gift, let us help you find it. If you're in Christ and you're a believer, everybody should be able to say, hey, my spiritual gift is, but then here's the second thing, use it for Him to glorify Him and to edify us. See, in fact, here's the thing, we need you to use your gift. That's why God brought you here. If you're a part of this North Star family, we need you using your gifts to glorify Him and to edify us. In fact, Jesus said in in, in John 13, 35, that... His disciples are not going to be known by their attendance. Isn't that crazy? So it's not like, well, I've been here, you know, every Sunday for 12 years. That's not what you're known by. He also says you're not known by your knowledge. In fact, Scripture says knowledge tends to puff us up, doesn't it? But he says this. My disciples, Jesus says, will be known by their love. You see, I think when people leave North Star, here's what they should say. First, that might be the most loving place I've ever been in my entire life. Now, if you think about it, that's usually not what people say about church, right? You invite someone that's not been in church, like, I don't want to go to church, a bunch of hypocrites, right? By the way, so is Walmart, Target, you go there, but that's a different story. Most judgmental people. And there's reasons for that. But, but here, shouldn't they say this? Man, those people at North Star. I mean, I've never felt more love. In fact, that's why after that week in April, two weeks later we came back. I'll be honest, it wasn't the music. Joe wasn't even here. It wasn't Corey. However, I think he's one of the most phenomenal communicators I've heard in a long time. I love sitting under him. I learn something new every week. We're so, I'm telling you, church, we are blessed to have a staff that we have. But I'll tell you what happened. We came back, and I walked through the door, and Susan and Nick was like, Mark, Carrie, 
Corbin, Hudson, Tyson, how you guys doing? I looked at Carrie. I was like, we're joining today. Who does that? Like, who calls you by name? And then all of a sudden, people are like, hey, welcome. Hey, welcome. Hey, welcome. And you know what I started doing? I started turning around like, hey, welcome. I wasn't even a part of the family. I was like, welcome, welcome, welcome. Because when you get loved, you just start loving people. And then here's the second when I'm done. Agape love comes from God, so here's our prayer this morning. I'm telling you, it'll set you free. Is this. Hey, God, I very clearly see what agape love is. First Corinthians 13. I mean, it's right here. It's, it's black and white. I can't do it. I know that sounds crazy. But if you'll just say to God this morning, Hey, God, I cannot love people the way that your word tells me to. I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this. Because I don't want you to leave frustrated. It profits us nothing if I have explained 1 Corinthians 13 to you, but then you leave going, well, that's a good word, but I can't do it. So here's the the takeaway. Hey, God, there's reasons why I don't love people. we could get deep for a second there might be some of you on this side of the room that doesn't love people on this side of the room oh and you've got your reasons but here's the thing before God it's not a good one oh you don't know what they've done and you're right I don't I just know the grace of God can cover it and the love of God can conquer it because love never fails and so maybe it's just saying hey God I'm going to surrender all of my reasons that I don't love people I'm going to surrender my excuses. I'm also going to surrender my fears. Because what if I, oh man, like what if I go and I say, hey, I love you, will you forgive me? And they say no. Because they could, right? But you just daily, I'm going to surrender all those things. When you get up in the morning, here's what you're going to do. Hey God, you know what? It's your truth that I'm going to live by today and You know what? You sent me a helper because I need help. You sent me a comforter because I need to be comforted. So if that's the truth, why would I even attempt to live any more of any of my days trying to do it on my own? So God, here I am again with all my excuses, with all of my fears, and with all of my so-called reasons that are not even good. And I surrender them to you. But can I also say that if you're here this morning, and we're talking about this fact that God loves you, and He does. Oh, man, He loves you. In fact, Zephaniah 3.17 says He's rejoicing over you with singing. He loves you so much. And I know for some of you, are like, there's no way He can love me. I'm broken, but you're not. I'm dirty, but you're not. i got to try. No. Here's this morning maybe for you is just to say, Hey, Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come into my life. With all of my dirty, with all of my broken, with all the stuff, it's real. It's real. But I'm no longer going to live in the emotion. I'm going to live in the truth. If you really do love me, I accept your love. And maybe for some of you for the very first time that you would want to give your life to Christ. There's a lot of leaders here that would love. I'm going to be right there. I'd love to talk to you. 
Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for the truth of your word. And God, I'm just, I'm just glad that this isn't dependent on me. I'm so grateful that when I hear about the truth of what love is, that I know I can't do it, and it's never been your expectation for me to do so. In fact, you knew it before it was even written, that you would take residence in me, and that the God of love would love others through me. But God, I pray maybe for the person in the room today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that at least they would begin to ask some questions be open to realize, man, it's not based upon what I've done, whether what I've done is good or bad. This is all based on what you've already accomplished on the cross. And the beauty that it wasn't just what you did on the cross, but the truth that I was crucified with you. And that all of that old was buried in a grave. And I've been raised as a new creation. Powerful. Victorious. And so I I just surrender over to you all my reasons and excuses and fears for not loving people. And I ask God that you love people through.